0: Though this is the last week of this series, and it's been a good series, we've had a lot of great conversations that have happened throughout the last several weeks. Though this is the last week of this series, the reading plan that we have been doing through the app is going to continue through the end of the summer. And so, if you haven't joined that, go ahead and go to the app and you can find it there and continue doing this. Because the reason we've done this series is so that All of us are better equipped to be able to read the book of Proverbs and study it ourselves. That's our whole goal for this. And so to give you a quick recap, though, of what the last several weeks have been in this series, we first started out in the first week giving a lot of good background and context for the book itself. And so if you missed that, I would encourage you to go listen to it on our website. And then we examined how our relationship with God is going to be the primary aspect of our pursuit of wisdom. And then how that relationship and God's wisdom coupled together is going to transform us. It's going to change who we are. And then today, what we're going to talk about is how that transformation, that inner change is going to affect how we treat other people. Now, in addition to that, we shall see how wisdom tells us that treating other people is not only an ethical principle to live by. It's not only just the right thing to do, but treating others well also makes this life better, just makes it better. And isn't that really what we've kind of seen over the last several weeks, is that when we live wisely, when we apply the things we see in Proverbs, life generally is going to go better for us. And that's what God wants for us. He wants the best for us. That's why he gives us this book. He gives us advice to live by because God loves us and wants the best for us. And so he gives us all of this. He gives us true, trustworthy principles that we can live by. So as we step into our study of the text this morning, which is in Proverbs 3, 1 through 4. So you can go ahead and open your Bibles, load it up on your phone, turn there. Proverbs 3, 1 through 4. As we step into our study of this text, I want you to keep in mind two statements. I want you to take these statements, I'm going to say them, and I want you to put them at the back of your mind, okay? We're going to pull them out a little bit later, but keep them at the back of your mind as we go through this text today. And then after today, as you leave this place and as we go into the rest of this week, I want you to chew on these statements and just use them as maybe a catalyst for deeper thought, okay? So first statement, your character determines the quality of your life. And second, your character is no better than how you treat others. Your character determines the quality of your life, and your character is no better than how you treat others. So let's jump into our text, chapter 3, Proverbs chapter 3. We're only doing one through four, four verses. So let's start with verse one. It says, my child, never forget the things I've taught you. Store my commands in your heart. Now, it's important for this verse, especially to check the original language this morning, because some translations on that first line say, never forget my law. Some of your translations may even say that. My child, never forget my law. Never forget the things I've taught you. And some have looked at this verse and seen these two lines and they think that it refers to God's commands, his, his law that is given to Israel and all the other things in scripture in which we must obey to be obedient to the Lord. It's these commands, the law of God. And some look at this and say, no, I don't, I don't know if it's about that. I think it's more about just general instruction and advice. And so we must look at the text study it to know kind of, okay, what are we supposed to really see here so we don't have any misunderstandings? And so let's let's get a little nerdy. Let's look at some of the original language, which you know I like to do. And so the very first word that's used within that first line is Torah, which you may be more familiar with the pronunciation Torah, Okay, so Torah, which is the first five books of Scripture, it is what Moses handed down. It is the law of God, so Israelites are able to uh, know how they're supposed to live in this life, and it's generally referred to also just general law commands from God within Scripture, the Torah. Okay, however, the word itself means that means instruction or law from God to. Man, but it also means just instruction or law from man to man. And so there's kind of a dual aspect to this word. It's not just meaning those first five books of scripture or the law that is given to Israel. And so it doesn't give us a lot of clear guidance necessarily. It could be either one. The second line, store my commands in your heart, that word commands is mitzvah. Now mitzvah could be commandments from God, commandments from humans, or it could mean a code Of wisdom. Okay, so even here, looking at the words, we see that there's a couple of ways that this could go. So when we look at this translation, though, keeping it within the context of Scripture, context of Proverbs chapter 3, the translation is not commands from God. It is not talking about direct law from God. It is actually the simple instructions from a father to a son. It is the advice from Solomon, who is the author of this chapter, of this book, Solomon to his son Rehoboam. He's giving him his advice. And we can see that in the context of this book, especially the first nine chapters, which as you read, reads very clearly as a father giving his son advice on how to live. And the storm commands in my heart, it's a father telling his son, remember what I'm teaching you. Remember the code of wisdom in which I have shared with you. And internalize it, imprint it upon your heart so your first reaction is one of wisdom rather than folly. And so this verse is not referring explicitly to God's law and commands. However, it does reinforce something. It's important for us to cover this because it enforces something really, really important as we read and study Proverbs on our own. Proverbs are not promises from God are trustworthy principles to live by. Proverbs are not promises from God. They are simply trustworthy principles to live by. And the greatest example I can point to is found in Proverbs 22:6, which you may be familiar with many of you. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they grow older, they will not leave it. Many have looked at this verse and they have seen a promise. That if I raise my children right, if I direct them on the right way, then when they grow up, they will follow the Lord. They will do things the way that they have been taught. They will go the right way. This is not a promise. And many of you know the hard truth of that firsthand. And it's not a failure from God. Because this is not a promise. God is simply giving good advice. And so we can read it better by saying... It uh, direct your children onto the right path, and it is most likely when they're older they will follow the right way to go. Proverbs are not promises, but they are trustworthy principles which we can live by. However, though these are not divine commands, however, they are not promises, it is understood that these principles found within all of Proverbs are sound and trustworthy only because they are drawn from the very character of God. That's how we know that they are worth following. God's wisdom inspires the wisdom found in here so we can be confident in its usefulness, its practicality, and the truth of its application throughout our lives. It is insight that's born from the goodness, the justice, truth, and wisdom of God's own heart. And so here we see in this passage, chapter 3, Solomon, a father, is begging his child to be wise. And in turn, the Father, our Heavenly Father, is offering us a chance to keep His wisdom close to our hearts so that it may transform us, change us, so that we may have the best possible life we can live. And so, let's look at chapter, or verse 2. It says, if you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. So what we just kind of covered, if you keep his wisdom close and you welcome that change that it rots within you, then our lives will be better. No specific promises once again, okay? This is not some kind of like spell book where you say the words and things happen. This is, that's not what this is. We think of it generally, but played out in everyday decisions that are happening, decisions, interactions, conversations, things that are happening constantly. In which wisdom, living wisely, leads to a better life. Which you can find out more about this from checking out last week's sermon. Once again, I'm just telling you, basically you should go and listen to every single sermon from this series. <laughs> but this is what Solomon is reinforcing with verse 1 and verse 2. Is that this, These are not promises from God, but they will lead to a better life. Because they are true and trustworthy principles. And now is when we see a shift in the conversation. We see a shift in what he's saying and what we can kind of take from it in verses three and four. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people, and you will earn a good reputation. Solomon moves from the internal change that happens within us as a result of wisdom and to how wisdom changes it affects how we treat other people. We cannot separate ourselves from the broader community in which we live. We live in family units. We have friends. We have whole networks that we're a part of. Our communities, our neighborhoods, your work. The city of Fishers and whatever cities you live in, the state that we live in, the country we live in, and even today, especially as the world has become more and more globalized, we're connected with people all around the world. We live in this vast network and we cannot separate ourselves from it. And Proverbs would not be much of a book of wisdom if it didn't address how we interact with that network. And really, much of the book of Proverbs is about interacting with other people, how we can wisely treat others or interact with them and what the application is of that. And so if we truly want to be wise, we want to apply what we find in Proverbs, we're going to have to continuously examine ourselves and how we act toward other people. And if we do that, if we do act wisely, it says in verse 4 that we get two things. We gain favor with God and with people. And two, we earn a good reputation. Because how we treat others is not just between us and them. It's just not me and the person in front of me. How we treat others matters to God. He cares about our interactions, our daily, small, tiny interactions, whether it's the barista at the coffee shop, to our coworkers, to family, friends, to the person we're driving with on the interstate. The way that we treat others matters to God. And we find favor with Him by treating them well. Because too often we find people who claim to follow the Lord and yet treat others poorly. Too often we see individuals who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, and really they're just rude and crotchety people. Do you like that word, crotchety? It was the first one that came to mind, and I was like, well, I'm keeping it. (laughs) I've got two things that immediately came to mind when I was thinking of this, two things that I've seen right in front of me. I was at the grocery store once, and the person in front of me was on the phone, and they were talking about church things. They were talking about serving that Sunday, you know, uh, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I think it was like getting together communion or, you know, something. So they were serving some way on a Sunday, and they were just talking on the phone with this person, and they were getting checked out, and the cashier must have made a mistake of some kind, and they snapped at that cashier, and they went off. It was just rude to this cashier right in front of them. Another situation that I immediately thought of was this one time I was driving on the interstate and this was down in Texas and this car comes zooming right next to me and they apparently wanted to get over into the exit that was coming up. They zoom past me and they got, you know, that fish little, that little fish picture right on the back of their car. They got that fish. They zoom right in front of me, like cut across and as they're doing it, I see the window come down and the bird goes up. Flip me off. We look at these things and we see a disconnect. doesn't make sense, does it? Someone who claims to follow Christ and they act that way, there's a disconnect there that's kind of obvious as we look at these situations. The way that we treat other people, especially the way we treat strangers, it matters to God. When we're at the park and my kids are playing with whoever's there, because it's a guarantee they will find friends. They will just go play with whoever. When they're doing that, and I watch them running around, making friends, having fun with others, man, it makes my heart sing. I love it. I love seeing it. But when we're also at the park, and I see one of my kids be mean to another kid, that affects me too. It grieves me. It embarrasses me. It really upsets me. Our Heavenly Father is not so different from that. In addition, verse 4 tells us that we will earn a good reputation by treating others well. Now, why is this important? Why is it important to have a good reputation with others? Well, Proverbs are sage advice, right? Trustworthy principles to live by. So it's simply a reminder that when we honor others and we treat them well, then we are going to have a good reputation. We will be well-respected and well-liked within our network, within our neighborhood, our community. Now, some of you may kind of scoff at that a little bit and be like, well, you can't please everyone. I don't really care what others think about me. And I get it, okay? I get that. And we don't want to be swayed by others' opinions to where you're just kind of, you know, fopping around doing whatever. But that's not what good reputation means here. Let me give you an example to kind of portray this. In my hometown, which is a small town, I mean, we're talking like 3,000 people, okay, we're a small town that I grew up in. There was a guy named Mr. Nicholson. He was a teacher. He was a uh, track coach. And he had a really good reputation in our small town. He was well respected, well liked. Not everyone knew him personally, but he was well respected. Why? Because he treated others kindly, with respect. He honored others in their conversations, even in disagreements. His character was such that even though he wasn't perfect and not every person loved him, he was respected. Now, a good reputation doesn't mean you appease everyone or you bend over backward to make other other people happy. It means that your character is such that your overall reputation is honored and respected even by those who disagree with you. And it will improve the quality of your life and improve the quality of life around you for other people. Now, another example of this that hits close to home. Last year, I got hired on here So that was not that long ago. It was the fall picnic. I remember I came in, and I was meeting with people trying to get a sense of what you guys are like. And Kevin doesn't know I'm going to do this, and so he's going to be a little embarrassed. The thing that stood out to me more than anything else as I talked to all of you was the character of this man. Nicole and I went through a long process of trying to discern where God wanted us next. As we came in here and we saw what Grace Fisher's was like, we saw your hearts, we saw Kevin's heart. We knew that if we came here, we would be loved and cared for. The reputation of this man meant a lot to us, and I know it means a lot to you guys. His good reputation was a huge factor in bringing us here and making us know that God was here. When we live wisely, when we treat others well and we earn a good reputation, it is not for our sake. It is for the sake of the Lord amongst His people. Okay. Now you're kind of thinking, all right, I get it. We need to treat others well. I'm on board. You don't have to keep convincing me. Matter of fact, I probably didn't have to do so much in, in the first place, right? It's not that hard of a concept to think, okay, we need to treat others well. But how do we do that? What do I do to actually kind of take a step toward that? Solomon specifically mentions in this verse, in this passage, two qualities that wisdom dictates are important to how we treat other people. And those are a really good starting place for us as we move forward into even just this week. Remember how I said that while these are not divine commands, the book of Proverbs is born from the heart of God. So what we see here is God's character reflected in two qualities which we should adopt. And we see them in verse 3. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. So the first one is loyalty. Now the first thought that we may have with this word is that, okay, to be loyal means to stick with your friends through thick and thin, to, to be there. The very first thing I thought of was a golden retriever, right? You're loyal. A golden retriever is loyal. It follows you. But there's no element of being a follower within this word. Loyalty can also be translated as faithfulness within this verse. So, rather, loyalty at its root is the ability to be true to your word. It means that you follow through, that your yes means yes, and your no means no. That when you say you're going to do something, you actually do it, and people know you're going to do it. It is to be trustworthy. When you say you're going to be somewhere, you're there. You don't ghost people. You don't flake on people. It means that your word means something. And so the question we can ask ourselves is, am I trustworthy? And it reflects the character of God because God is trustworthy. God is faithful. In Exodus 34, 6, we see a prime example of this as as God is responding to the disobedience and and the unfaithfulness of Israel as he has given them the commands, the law of God, and they immediately begin worshiping a golden calf. And Moses, in his anger, destroys the law and then kind of goes crawling back up the mountain and says, God, I, I kind of messed up. I need your help. The very first thing God says to Moses and to the people of Israel is he says, I am the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. God's character is a faithful character. He is faithful to Israel throughout scripture where we see even when they mess up and fail in the greatest ways, he never leaves them or forsakes them. He's faithful to the early church where we see many of the letters that we read in the New Testament are about instances where the early church is messing up and they need a little correction, but God does not leave them. He stays faithful and he's faithful to us. As we live this life and we fail and we mess up and we live in disobedience, God never, ever leaves you. He never gets to the place where he says, that's too much. I'm just done. It's not what he does. He is faithful. We honor God by being faithful in turn. We honor God by being trustworthy. The second characteristic that we see is kindness in this verse. Kindness. Now, this may be the easiest to understand and the hardest to follow through because kindness is not just a singular event. It's not just being kind once, it's not just being kind when you feel good or when the day's going well. Kindness is all the time. To have a character of kindness, it means that no matter what's happening, no matter how you feel, no matter what situation or conversation you find yourselves in, you're kind anyway. And God is kind. It reflects his heart. Ephesians 4, 31 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And here's the key, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Our kindness for other people is inspired by the kindness of God, which is fully revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because the ultimate kindness, kindness that was ever showed to the entire world was when God entered into human history as a simple man. And Jesus lived a life in which he can understand all the things we go through, He understands all our temptations. He understands all our struggles. He understands all our suffering. Because it was not an easy life that Jesus lived. But out of his kindness, he paid a terrible ultimate sacrifice upon the cross. So that we may have relationship with him. Even though we don't deserve it. We've done nothing that deserves to have a relationship. We've done nothing in which God should say, oh yeah, they're worthy of me. It is only out of the kindness of his heart that he says, I don't care. I want them anyway. God is kind. And his kindness inspires us to be kind in turn. And he goes on in this verse and says that we should tie these characteristics around our necks as a reminder. And it's not a burden. It's a reminder. Now, is anyone familiar with Flavor Flav? I hope so. He's been around for a long time. (laughs) Flavor Flav is a, a hype man. He's a rapper. He's really good at what he does. And he has the big old clock that he wears around his neck. Even if you don't know who he is, you probably recognize him now. got the big clock. Now, the reason why he wears the clock is because he is known. He's known for always being on time to meetings, early in fact. He's very punctual, and he always drove his team to stay on schedule, to be prompt, to do what they need to do in the time that they have. That's why he wears the clock is because it turned into a joke amongst his peers of he's the guy that's going to keep you on time. So he started wearing this clock. That clock, though, turned into a part of his persona of kind of who he is as a constant reminder of his values. And he always feels that. I mean, it's heavy. It's got to be. Those are big clocks. He feels it as a weight around his neck. In the same way, we need to feel the weight of who God is and feel the weight of what He's done for us. Not as a burden, as a reminder of what He's done. A reminder that the values of God's heart should be close to our heart. And then we are able to internalize them, make them our own, make them a gut reaction. So when we come across circumstances and where it is hard to do these things, it's hard to be trustworthy, it's hard to be kind, But if we internalize them and write them on our heart, I mean, twice in just these four verses, it says, store these commands on your heart. And then it says, write them deep within your heart. There's a reason why it's said twice is because we need to make it a gut reaction. So when we're having a terrible day and we don't want to be around anyone and we come across someone who's just maybe even being rude to us, our gut reaction is not to respond in kind, but our gut reaction is to be kind because it is written upon our hearts. And the best way to know whether or not it's truly internalized and you truly act this way is to ask other people. Ask your friends. Ask your spouse. Ask your kids Am I trustworthy? Am I kind? Ask your coworkers. Walk into your boss's office this week and ask Am I trustworthy? Do I contribute to the culture here at this company as a kind person? When we ask others, we're gonna really discover who we are, what our character is like, because what you think your character is matters very little in light of how you treat other people. Your character determines the quality of your life, and your character is no better than how you treat others. As we close out today, I wish to pray for us, all of us together. I'm going to pray an old prayer of the Puritans. Now, the Puritans were a group that formed to purify the Anglican church in 16th and 17th century, uh, the Church of England. And what they were trying to do is purify the church of what they saw as unnecessary and ritualistic worship. And so, what they focused on, the Puritans, they focused on meditation on Scripture and on prayers. And so, what we have from that particular tradition is a lot of really beautiful prayers that are rich in theology, and they're saturated with a deep love for God. And so, I'm going to pray this prayer that's been around for a long time. I'm going to pray this prayer for us. And don't worry, I've updated the language, so it's not a bunch of these and thous. It will make a little sense but we're going to pray this in light of the wisdom that we see in Proverbs 3 and throughout the entire book. I want, to keep, I want you to keep those things in mind. And so while, as I, while I pray this prayer for all of us, I ask you to close your eyes. Just take this moment. I know we're at the end of service, so you're thinking ahead to lunch or to what's going on this week or this afternoon. Put all that aside and just listen to the words of this prayer. Meditate on them. And let this prayer lead us to a deeper self-examination and ultimately deeper worship. So let's pray. Lord, creator of all, there is one thing that deserves our greatest consideration, our sincerest desire. That is the answer to the great question, what is the purpose of our existence? It is to glorify you who has created us, and to do all the good I can for others around us. Honestly, life is not worth living if this noble purpose does not sweeten it. Yet, Lord, how little does mankind think of this. Most people seem to live for themselves without much thought toward your glory or the good of others. They earnestly desire and eagerly pursue the riches, honors, and pleasures of this life, as if they believed that wealth, greatness, and merriment could make their immortal souls happy. Oh, but what false deceiving dreams are these, and how miserable will those be that sleep in them. For all our happiness comes from loving you and being holy as you are holy. O Lord, may we never fall into the seduction of arrogance. The selfishness and folly of this present world is a place of inexpressible sorrow, a vast, empty nothingness. Time is a moment of fog, and all its enjoyments are empty bubbles floating upon the wind. Nothing satisfactory can be derived from it. Give us the grace to always love and honor you and to reject the delusion of fame in this life, together with all sinful pleasures or profits. Help us continually know that there can be no true happiness, no fulfilling of your purpose for us, apart from a life lived in and for the Son you loved, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.